Good. Kids can be dismissed to Kids Church. Thank you so much, you guys. Thanks for leading us in worship today. God is good. Well, we're continuing in our study of the book of Nehemiah. Today we're in Nehemiah chapter 3. And I hope to show you how one of the most boring chapters in the Bible is also one of the most important chapters in the Bible. That's my goal. So the question has already been asked this morning, who are you? Who am I? And now with this chapter, Nehemiah chapter 3, I believe this chapter answers, who are we? Who are we? So let's look at Nehemiah chapter 3. Who are we? One of the most boring books of the Bible. You look at it, it's just a long list of names. In fact, a lot of people that teach the book of Nehemiah completely skip this chapter. They may briefly mention it, but they don't take the time to read through it because it's just a long, boring list of names. But I want to show you that this chapter is one of the most, it holds, contains one of the most important truths and fundamental truths to our faith and is the hallmark of who we are as a church and what we believe in. It's a huge, huge part of our vision here at Wellsburg Community Church. So uh, just first, first a few facts, because it's important to me that everybody knows that these events that we read of in the Old Testament, and in the Bible for that matter, these are historical. These are not, as Peter wrote, we have not followed cunningly devised fables, Peter called them. No, no, these are factual, this is history. There's an archaeological record for thousands of places and events mentioned in the Bible, and this is one of them. And so it's important to me to let you know that in 2007, uh, they discovered a 30-meter section of the wall made famous by the biblical account of Nehemiah. And around that area, they dug up artifacts, including arrowheads, pottery, seals, and even the bones of two large dogs, which were dated no later than the Persian period, which is when this story took place. This is real. This is history. And God has something to teach us through these events that we're reading about. And so if you want an idea about this wall that Nehemiah is restoring, it was 15 feet thick. 20 to 30 feet high, roughly two miles long, enclosing 90 acres, and it took them exactly 52 days to finish. That's phenomenal, and we're going to hear about why today. So the book of Nehemiah, it's often pointed to, even in secular cultures and secular groups, but it's, it's taught by people largely as a business model. And it is. I mean, people have looked to, to Nehemiah and taught it as a study on great leadership and organizational skills and delegation and how to grow a great, successful organization. And I think that's just the surface. It just scratches the surface. And all that's true. It's fine and good. You can look to Nehemiah as a fabulous example of an administrator. But if you peel back the layer and you keep looking, you come to a, very, a deeper, more lasting meaning behind this story. Because I believe this rebuilding of the wall of Jerusalem 
it's parallel to the church. Now let me make a case for that. Why do I say that this wall of Jerusalem that Nehemiah is rebuilding, why do I equate, why do I parallel that with the church? I think it's very clear. For instance, in Revelation 21.2, it says, this is John the Beloved having a vision of what's going to happen in the, the end or the beginning, the end, which is the beginning of eternity, the end of our time. Revelation 21.2, he says, I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Well, what does Jesus refer to as his bride? The church. The church. So this is clearly this new Jerusalem prepared as a bride adorned for her husband coming down out of heaven is clearly not a geographical, temporal location, right? And so he's clearly speaking of the church in this passage. And then in 1 Peter 2, verses 4 and 5, listen to what Peter says. 1 Peter 2, verses 4 and 5. He says, coming to him, Jesus, as to a living stone, so he's describing Jesus, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also. I love that. When I read this verse, I like to stop right there, um, and I like to go back because it says you also, and I like to go back and say, okay, well, what about me also? And then I go back again and read about Jesus, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious. Isn't that a wonderful truth? And he says, you also. Now he's going to describe us as living stones. Remember that phrase, living stone. This wall that Nehemiah was rebuilding was made of stones. And Paul is re Peter is referring here to us, the church, as living stones. You ever seen a living stone plant? It's a succulent. They look like pebbles. It's very interesting. It's a weird-looking plant. They're actually called living. It's called the living stone plant. And, and it's an apt dis, uh, metaphor of the church. Living stones. So we are stones that fit together to build a fortified city, spiritual city. And we'll talk about that. But we're living stones. The church is an organism more than an organization. That's why Peter calls us living stones. And it says, you are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. This would have been really new, a new concept to these Jewish converts to Christianity. I mean, in their, all their life, they've only seen the priests offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. They weren't the holy priesthood. The priests were the holy priesthood. And, Paul, and now Peter is saying, no, all of you, all of you comprise the holy priesthood, which is the church. And you are all to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. 1 Peter 2.9 says this, but you are a chosen generation a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness 
into his marvelous light. Think about these words, generation, priesthood, nation, and people. Those are not singular words. They are plural. They all are plural words. In other words, what Peter is telling us is that the, the, the church, the life of a Christian, absolutely must be lived in community. In community. I've said this before. It's, I guess you could say it's a faithism because I think I've said it so many times and I'm never going to stop saying it because I really want it to sink in. The church, you and I, all believers, the church is the only physical representation of Jesus Christ on the earth today. Amen. If you really believe that, you would make every effort, you and I, to gather with God's people as much as we possibly could, as if Jesus himself were here in the flesh. Because guess what? He's here in the flesh. Are we fleshly? Do we act in the flesh? Yes. yes. And yet God chooses to call us living stones that he can build together to make something strong. That's phenomenal. That is the truth of Christianity. That we are his body. So the idea that you can possibly dare to think that you and I can live the Christian life in isolation out of fellowship with other believers, it's not Christianity. It's not Christianity. Can't be done. And, you know, I'm, I'm talking to uh, this person about being baptized. And, and what I've come to realize is I think, I think when the church teaches baptism, and I'm guilty, I've come to realize this. There's this great truth about baptism, this fundamental, central truth about baptism that I think we've missed. And that's why we've baptized people. And every minister could probably say they baptize people and then they never see them again. They never become part of the body of Christ. Because they have this idea that baptism is it's like a lucky charm. Well, if I go through this ritual, maybe God will protect me before I go do this next great thing. Before I, or you know, maybe, maybe, I, can, maybe I can gain brownie points with God. And they, people have their reasons and none of them are correct. When in fact, if you look at 1 Corinthians 12, verses 13 and 14, it says, For by one spirit, I'm reading from 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13. By one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Do you see that? This is so important. We are baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks. Now, this next phrase is what I'm getting at with this long list of names and why the most boring book in the Bible, boring chapter in the Bible, is the most important. Jews, Greeks, slaves, or free, all have been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. So I wanted to start there to sort of build upon this chapter that we're going to read today. Just really, really... Um, uh, set in place this very important truth that the church is, is a, it's a body of believers and that the Christian life is to be lived in community. In community. We need each other and we draw nourishment from the body of Christ. So we were all baptized into one body. 
So, you know, as I've come to realize this, that I really need to make sure I help people understand what baptism means. And by the way, it's the summertime, and we're going to be having a baptism service again like we do every summer. If you need to be baptized, let me know. Please first take the flyer back there and read about it. But when I'm talking to people now, after, after you know, several years of baptizing people, now when I talk to people, I really make sure they understand you're baptized into a body of believers. So baptism follows a life change, including I am now a part of a family that I need in order to live the Christian life. And I can't live it alone. Okay, so... So far in verse in chapter 2, we talked about the key verse in chapter 2 was where Nehemiah gave the vision to the people. Let's rebuild the city walls. And how did they respond? They said, let us rise up and build. And it says, then they set their hands to this good work. That was chapter 2, verse 18. So continuing with that idea. And, and what I did was I had you all stand up. Anyone who agreed to that, I had you all stand up and say, let us rise up and build. So here's the question, though. And this is where the book of Nehemiah is it's interpreted differently depending on who's teaching it. So my question for us today is build what? Build what? I mean, there could be all kinds of enthusiasm. Yes, let us rise up and build. But let's make sure we understand what it is we're building. Are we building a, a, a business here? No. Some attractional model? Because I could do that. I could do that. You know, I mean, I, 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 I know I've been around the church for enough time in my life. I know how to build. I know what we would need to do to build an attractional church model. To get people through the doors. We could flood this place. We could bust through the seams and have four services. But what are we building? Because the question is, once they're in here, then what? Who's going to make the phone call when someone's in the hospital? Who's going to show up at the door when, when someone's bedridden? Who's going to bring a meal? Who's going to pick up the phone and say, I missed you? I haven't seen you for a while. Who's going to sit next to the person who's sitting all alone and has no friends? Let's see, what are we building here? If we're just building a church business, you know, paying someone to say some awesome words and inspire you and give you your boost for the week so you can make it through the week, then we've got a spectator sport arena. But we're not building that. We are living stones. We are a body of members that each and every single one are absolutely vitally important to the life of this body. I can't do it alone. And neither can you. So what are we building? We have to know that right off. I believe... At least I'll speak for Dave and I, and I believe for a lot of you. We're building a strong family, a body of believers who will hold forth the word of life to a dying world. We are building strong members of the body of Christ. 
that will hold forth the word of life so that people looking in will say, I want to be a part of that, and hopefully they won't be literally looking into a building, but I want to see the day where we are outside the building bringing forth that message, being the church on the streets, in the marketplace, everywhere we go, taking the church out of the building, living stones, a vibrant organism, growing, permeating every part of society, bringing the kingdom of God to this earth. That's what I hope we're building. And Nehemiah, in the natural, he had such a vision of wanting to see the wall of Jerusalem, the city wall restored. It's amazing. Do you ever think about the position he left to do that? There's a, there's a truth right there. He was the cupbearer to the king of Persia. He had a pretty sweet gig. He had it good. He lived in the king's palace. He had some kind of life. He had it made, and he walked away. He walked away to go rebuild a city because his heart was there. And he faced, as we're going to see, he faced all kinds of opposition and danger and fears and unknowns. And he did it because that's where his heart was. It says in Hebrews 11, they had their hearts set on a city whose builder and maker is God. A city whose foundations and whose builder and maker is God. It says that's why God was not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. So where is your heart? What are we building? Are we building a comfy, gorgeous, and yes it is, sanctuary for us to come and you know, veg for a while, be pumped up? Or are we building a vibrant, dynamic family of believers that can encourage each other so that we can then go out and bring the gospel of the kingdom to our dark world? What are we building? <clears throat> Well, I think we can sum it up by saying we're building up each other. See, Nehemiah's interest was in the people of God. His people. He wanted to go back to his people. What are we building? First Thessalonians 5.11 says, Encourage one another and build each other up. First Thessalonians 5.11. Encourage one another and build each other up. That's why we come together. Look, we come together not just so I can encourage you and build you up. Hopefully I do. I hope so. But in this passage, it says, no, you encourage one another, and you build each other up. And that's why we're so careful. Part of our vision is to make time for that. That's why we have the cafe. It's not about the bagels. It's about building each other up. We, we want to provide ample time for relationship building. That's why we have lunches together, so that we can encourage one another and build each other up. I was so blessed last uh, Father's Day at our picnic last day. Let me tell you something. I'm just going to tell you how awesome you people are. This is the building progress we've made in the spirit. I'm just going to be super honest with you. 
I've got a set of eyes that you can see all around the back of my head. It's like a mother, right? I got as much eyes as a mother does. But you could call me the church mom in a sense because it used to be that when we would gather for lunches, it would be the norm that I, I would be sitting trying to have a conversation with someone, really trying to pay attention to them, but I've got these eyes. And I'm thinking, oh no, so-and-so's over there alone and nobody's talking to him. So-and-so is over there all by herself and nobody's talking, and I'm panicking. I mean, this is, look, God may have wired me this way naturally, but he wants us all to build each other up. We can grow into becoming builders of each other. And so, you know, there have been times where I've had to say, excuse me for a minute, and go tell my husband, you please talk to so-and-so. They're sitting all alone. I'm just, I'm, 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 I'm letting you in on a secret. But I don't feel like I've had to do that for a long time. Last Sunday, I, I just took a minute to look around, and every table was full. Everybody was talking and conversing. My heart was at peace. I was, at, I was like, this is church. This is not, church is not limited to, if we think church is limited to a sermon you can watch on a video, we pitifully miss it. Church is having sausage and peppers out on a table and building each other up. Building each other up. Encouraging and comforting. How have you been? I've missed you. How can I pray for you? That's being the church. And I see us growing as a body of Christ into this strong, fortified city as these stones fit neatly together. I see us learning how to build each other up. And so I commend you. This is very encouraging. For, this is a growth I want to see. You ask me how, we, how I want to grow, that's how I want us to grow. How, that's how. Because what good is it if we grew to 5,000 people and we weren't building each other up? It's not the church. It's a crowd. It's an entertained crowd. Nehemiah 3. Let's finally get to Nehemiah. Verse 1. No, I'm not going to read the whole chapter. Because as I said, it's one of the most boring chapters in the Bible. However, it is one of the most important. So we're going to look at this and see what God is speaking to us through this very important chapter. Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 1. Then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brethren, the priests, and they built the sheep gate. By the way, there are nine gates to the city wall that they've got to repair. But what does it say? Before they started the work, it says they consecrated it and hung its doors. Very important little truth there. Literally means they dedicated it. And that's where we started here. We dedicated this work to the Lord. It's his work. It's not my church. It's not Dave's church. It's not Frank's church. It's his work. We dedicated this work to him. You know why? Because Psalm 12, 1 says, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Yes, we can be attractional and cool and hip and all the stuff, but it's the Lord's work, and he will build this house, and he is. So they consecrated it, 
And one way that we are doing that, that we are staying consecrated to the Lord, is in prayer and fasting. So here comes an announcement in the middle of the service. Sermon. We're going to start having prayer and fasting the first Wednesday of each month. Anybody who wants to is invited to fast that day. However fasting works for you. Maybe fast from social media. That would be a really good thing. Maybe fast one meal. Maybe fast TV. Whatever it is. Everybody is invited on the first Wednesday of each month to fast and pray. And then we come together at 7 o'clock here at the church. And wow, it's always such a powerful time. 6.30. 6.30, thank you. 6.30. I never liked numbers. <laughs> so that is how we stay consecrated to God. This is your work. And we will, the foundation of this church will be prayer. Will be prayer. Okay. So what happens as you move through this chapter? You begin to read. It says, next to Eliashib, verse 2. Chapter 3, verse 2. The men of Jericho built. Next to them, Zachar, the son of Enri built. Also the sons of Hanas, Hazan, whoever, built the fish gate. They laid its beams and hung its doors and bolted bars, and they did some other stuff, and then this guy and this guy. I'm not going to read the whole chapter. But you end up with this long list of names, and the first thing that to notice is that Nehemiah, this is why he was such a great leader. The names. Of every single person who had a part of this building. He was a name noticer. How many names do you know of the people sitting in this room? In proportion to how long have you been coming here? I won't make you answer. But as we learn to build each other up, you will be good at answering that question. You, too, will become a name noticer, a people noticer. People will become your passion if you call yourself a Christian, if you're part of the body of Christ. You will become as familiar with each other as you are with your own members of your own body. I'm very familiar with every part of my body, and so are you. And so as a healthy church, not a crowd to entertain, but as a healthy church, a living organism, we become very familiar with every member of this body so that when one member suffers, we all suffer. When one member rejoices, we all rejoice. I'm quoting 1 Corinthians 12. You can read the chapter. That's what it's about. So he lists all, the whole chapter is filled with all the names of all the people who came together to rebuild the walls. And here's the thing. These were people from all walks of life. The amazing thing about this chapter, and that's why it's so foolish to skip over it, is that this list of names represents people from every socioeconomic status, every origin. People came together for this work who did not even live within the confines of Jerusalem. If you read through, you will realize Wow, every kind of person came together to build this city. You had priests, you had goldsmiths, merchants, perfumers, noblemen, city officials, and Levites. They were the singers and the music players, the instrument, instrumentalists. They all came together to build. 
And this chapter is so important to me because it really speaks to who we are as a church. I don't want some purebred church where everybody thinks exactly, exactly alike. Been there, done that. I can tell you it's not fun. We want to be a church where every kind of person can walk through these doors and immediately sense what we felt this morning. The name of Jesus. There's a presence here. There is something here that I need. And no matter who that person is, no matter where they came from, no matter their background, no matter their status, no matter their, their, uh, any, their, their race, their persuasion, anything, our message must be, and it must be palpable. It must be sensed very strongly. Our message must be God is wildly crazy in love with every human he created, and he wants them in his kingdom. And if people can't catch that when they walk in, if somehow they sense something any differently that says, ooh, I don't belong, then we're, we're, we're in trouble. Got an amen from the roof corner. <laughs> So that is the beautiful thing. I mean, think about it. Why, why would God have it recorded in his inspired word that every name, every seemingly insignificant name of every kind of person was recorded in this chapter, and it was shown exactly what they did, their part in building the wall? Because every single kind of person has a part. In the body of Christ, when God saves a person, when he adopts them into his family, they have a part. They have a family role to play. Even in verse 12, it says, makes mention of this man, and it says, he and his daughters made repairs. It's very unusual to see mention of women working on a construction project, much less in the Old Testament, or let alone in the Old Testament. Next to them, oh, oh, another item of note, um, verse 5, there's this interesting notation that says, the Tekoyites made repairs, but their nobles did not put their shoulders to the work of the Lord. It's an important mention because there are always going to be the consumers in the church. Always. Every church, there are always going to be the people who show up and their whole mission is, bless me, feed me. <clears throat> How much can I consume to get me through the week? And, and I'm not saying there's, not, there's never a time for rest and healing. Of course there is. There must be. You know, we're not, we are not, we're not in the slave driving here. We don't have a whip. <laughs> I don't have a church honeydew list with all your names on it. Just fine. Just days. <laughs> <laughs> but see, when, when you catch a vision, when you get excited about some, something God is doing, you don't, you don't need to be coaxed or guilted into being part of the work. The natural response is rising up and saying, we will arise and build. Yes, what can I do? I'll tell you 
build each other up. Maybe it's going to fix something. Maybe it's a simple phone call. Maybe an invitation to coffee. Maybe an email. Maybe a text. Maybe just walking across the room and saying, hi. I know I've been attending here with you for 18 months, but I don't really know your name, and I just realized that. And I don't have an excuse. Building each other up. What are we building? If we're not building people, we're not being the church. I'll say it again. We can have an amazing structure. We can have fabulous Music. We can have a rocking band, and we do. <laughs> we can have awesome dinners, and we do. We got our own grill master. We got a church cook. We are happening. <laughs> I love this church. <laughs> this is my kind of church. I'm serious. If I were picking a church, I would pick this church. <laughs> but let me tell you something. In the end, if we're not building lives. If we are not investing and building each other up, we ain't nothing. We're not being the church. So that is the vision I have just cast before you once again. And I am looking for excitement. People who would say, let us arise and build. What can I do? What can I do to help build up this body of believers? What can I do? Wouldn't it be amazing if every single person who ever walked through this door knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that they were cared for and loved and missed? Wouldn't that be amazing? But I can't do it all. And so we can be builders together of the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 14. 1 Corinthians 12, 14. In fact, the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. Did you hear that? God has set you in the body just as he pleased. He wants you where you are in the body of Christ. And he wants you to grab a hold of his purpose for having you there. Where am I? And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members yet one body. And the eye cannot say to, say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No. Much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. Let me tell you something. Don't ever think you are an unimportant part of the body of Christ. A couple weeks ago, I walked by the kids' room before church started. I saw some ladies gathered at a table. And I knew they were praying for the church service. You know, maybe they can't do much else. They don't have the physical strength or whatever. But I got what we had an unbelievable service that day. I remember every part of the body doing its share will build up the body of Christ. 
You might not think you have much to offer, but you can pray. And let me tell you, that's the most important thing Amen. you can do as part of this church body. Those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts have greater modesty. Verse 25 of 1 Corinthians 12, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. So that if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. I love that last phrase. I love that Paul added that on. You're members individually. You are individuals, each having something unique and amazing to offer. And yet we are all part of one body. So I'm excited for you to catch this vision if you haven't yet, because we have a lot of work to do. We need, a, we need men's ministry. I mean, men, our men, men in general need to be built up. Our society right now is really down on men. Have you noticed? Yes. It's been a problem for a while. I mean, I could start getting into some, some statistics and tell you why we are having some huge society problems. It's the men. We need fathers. But the church, that's the church's role, is to build up fathers, to encourage fathers and husbands. So someone at some point in this place is going to rise up and say, I will build the men. I'm going to start a men's ministry. It can't be me. I think that's obvious. I think you probably know that. I don't think I'm called to start a men's ministry. But someone is. God's going to give someone the vision. And that's just, you know, one example. Finally, this chapter, interestingly enough, has 32 verses. Guess how many times the word repaired is repeated in this chapter in 32 verses. I'll just tell you. 35 times. This was not just about new construction. This was about repairing an old, broken down wall. The word repaired occurs 35 times. What is God trying to say to us in this chapter as I close? There are repairs to be made before we ever think we can be a strong, fortified city. We've got to get strong ourselves, strong in our relationships. Repair, repair, repair. We will be a church that is determined, determined to make relationships a priority. And God help us make repairs where repairs need to be made. There's this sobering verse in Matthew 5 verse 25. I want you to listen to these words and this is where I'm going to close. Matthew 5 25. Matthew 5 verse 23. Jesus says therefore if you bring your gift to the altar alright? In other words, if you go to church 
If you show up for church on a Sunday morning, because when they brought their gift to the altar, that means they're going to church. They're going into the temple to make a sacrifice. They're bringing their gift to the altar. So the modern translation is, if you show up for church and suddenly remember that your brother or your sister has something against you, note, it simply says you remember that they have something against you. Doesn't necessarily mean you did anything wrong. It simply says you remember that somebody has something against you. It's astonishing what Jesus says to do. He says, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. In other words, don't even continue in the service, the church service. He's actually saying, leave the church. Don't bother worshiping. Don't bother offering your songs because there's a problem in here towards someone. He says, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way and first be reconciled to your brother or your sister and then come and offer your gift. Wow. Do you see what Jesus is saying here? Relationship, relationship, relationship. People, people, people. That's our priority. That's what we are building. We're building people up. We're building relationships. And we will make repairs even before we offer our worship to God. Repair, repair, repair. Restore, restore, restore. Why? Because in John 13, 35, Jesus said, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples. How? By your ability to debate one another. By the way, you have it out with each other? No. By your love for one another. It's amazing to me. The world notices when God's people get along. I'll say it again. The world notices, and we have the technological means in this day and age for the world to take notice of us. They notice when we get along, when we love each other. By this shall all men, every kind of person, know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you have brought us to this place. You are building the new Jerusalem. And we get to be a part. You've called us living stones. Lord, I pray that we, this question would be answered for us today in each of our hearts. Who are we? Who are we as a church body? What are we doing here? Why are we here? Father God, would you remind us that we are here to build each other up. That relationship is your priority. God, would you show us each our place in this building program that you have ordained from the foundations of the earth. You have set each of us in place with a job to do. God, would you give us the vision? 
make us strong, a strong, fortified city, well defended against the attacks of the enemy. Why? Because we love each other. We've made the repairs. We've repaired the breaches, the places where we're broken down, where there's cracks in our relationships. God, help us to build each other up always. We thank you and we praise you so much for what you are doing here, what you've done already, and for what you have begun to do and, and what you're going to do. And Father, we believe in Jesus' name today that it is something that we can't even imagine. You are building something great. And we praise you and we thank you. In the name of Jesus, I pray.